0: Welcome to the NPS MedicineWise podcast, helping health professionals stay up to date with the latest news and evidence about medicines and medical tests. Yeah, hi, I'm Steve Morris, CEO of NPS MedicineWise, and welcome to our very timely episode of our podcast on COVID vaccines. I'm really pleased to welcome Professor John Skerritt, Deputy Secretary, Health Products Regulation Group. Hi, John.
1: Good night, Steve.
0: Yeah, look John, thanks for making the time. It must be be an extraordinarily busy time for you. Um, My first question to you is, as at 17th of February, which is when we're recording this podcast, where are things up to with approval and availability of vaccines for COVID in Australia?
1: Well, we've approved two vaccines with what's called in the Australian system provisional registration. That's a full review, but it does reflect the fact that there's certain things that no one knows about these vaccines such as the duration of protection. So the two vaccines that have been approved are the Pfizer one. That was on the 24th of January. And then on the evening of the 15th of February, we approved the AstraZeneca vaccine. We have two other vaccines for which uh, a provisional designation has been applied for, the Janssen one, Johnson & Johnson, and the Novavax vaccines. We don't have full submissions from those vaccines because the clinical trials are still underway in particular in the case of the Novavax vaccine.
0: Thank you, John. And, and what have we learnt from international experience in terms of, I suppose, real-world experience of vaccine rollout?
1: Oh, we've learned a lot. I mean, we talk to uh, international regulators several times a week. Uh, for example, tonight, I think, between 10.30 and midnight, uh, I'm involved in yet another teleconference of heads of regulators. And one of the things that's being discussed uh, there not only are regulatory considerations, but we do get to talk about how vaccine rollout is going both in terms of preliminary evidence for efficacy and there's some promising signs from Israel and from the UK uh, on me on the early impact of vaccinations, but also we uh, have discussions uh, about any safety signals that are emerging and again. Uh, there were some earlier reports of anaphylaxis with the Pfizer vaccine and so forth, but. Uh, it's going pretty well as far as uh, very few serious safety signals.
0: Thank you, John. And also something that's been in the, in the media quite a lot is about the efficacy of vaccines against uh, emerging strains, such is the South African variant.
1: The South African variant does appear to be a particularly tricky one, and we're still learning a lot about it. There was a study on a number of subjects who on average were aged 31, so it's a younger cohort. And indeed, the efficacy of the AstraZeneca vaccine in that younger cohort did appear to be relatively low. However, the the Janssen vaccine, which uses similar technology, uh, had higher efficacy against the South African one. It was lower than against other variants, but it was still quite high against serious disease. So I think the jury's still out about the protection against the South African variant. We also don't know how well these vaccines will perform in older age groups against the South African variant. The good news is that against the UK and the Brazilian variants, the vaccines seem still to be quite efficacious. There does seem to be uh, some decrease in efficacy, but uh, it is still the view of regulators overall that it's important for people to be vaccinated where those variants are present. And of course a number of the vaccine companies have announced that they're developing updated vaccines against the variants now variants of of viruses are it comes with being a virus just about all viruses do mutate and some more than others the most infamous of course of influenza seasonal influenza viruses where uh, every year we have to have new vaccines because of strain change it's uh, there's four main strains of that vaccine uh, and generally at least one and sometimes two and even three have to change between years. Now what this means for the rollout of COVID vaccines is governments worldwide including here are saying you'll still get good coverage so go ahead and please get vaccinated uh, with the vaccines that are available. It may well be that in 12 months time or even in eight or nine months time if a strain such as the South African one becomes uh, very prevalent in Australia there'll be a need to have a booster with uh, a, a vaccination that is targeted more on that strain. But it's an active area of vaccine development, but there's no reason not to be vaccinated because quite frankly, there will be changes in strains of this virus, just, just what it means in the long term, no one knows. But uh, uh, the important thing is to have confidence to get vaccinated now.
0: Yeah, that's a really, really important message, John. Um, Look, a lot of our listeners will be broadly aware of possibly the process of the TGA, but could you just give us a bit more insight into how the TGA goes about making decisions about vaccine approval in terms of safety and efficacy?
1: Sure. Well, what we don't have is a big dartboard in the tea room. So we actually are data and evidence-based, and uh, trust me, there's a lot of data. Uh, I was recounting the story... With uh, the AstraZeneca vaccine, it was we were just we just asked a particular question about toxicology in mice, and it was one element of a, of a sub element. And 859 pages later, we got the uh, the data from the study. So we literally have tens of thousands of of pages of data on these vaccines. And so, really, to look at it in three broad strands, clearly. The first and most important thing we look at with any vaccine is safety, and that ranges from experimental animal to, uh, toxicology, uh, teratogenicity, is there an effect on uh, fetuses of, uh, and the pups of, say, of mice and rats and other experimental animals, right through to with the initial phase one uh, clinical trials where uh, human safety is looked at through to the larger phase two and phase three trials. So, both the common and the uncommon side effects have to be reported in the regulatory submission. And even if an efficacy cutoff is reached, in other words, numbers of patients are protected versus those in the control arm is reached early, all regulators have asked that with the big clinical trials, participants have to be followed for at least two months. And that's because serious adverse events, if they do manifest, tend to manifest four to six, at most eight weeks after the final vaccine dose. As it happens, we have a lot of safety information for many months longer than that, because we're now six or eight or more months from when the first patients were vaccinated in these in these trials. And of course, we also have the real-world experience of literally millions of people yeah. having had vaccines of the northern hemisphere now. So, so safety is first and foremost. Clearly, efficacy is is absolutely important, and uh, that's both from looking at the clinical trial arms of how many patients say in a US or a European environment where there's a lot of COVID around get COVID if they've been vaccinated with either a, a relevant vaccine or saline versus the candidate vaccine. But uh, increasingly on all patients vaccinated uh, with both the placebo and the vaccine itself, the immune responses is looked at. And these are both antibody responses, but a number of also indicators of cellular immunity. And so they're they're also important measures for the potential efficacy of a vaccine. The final thing, which again is also really important for vaccines is manufacture. It's it's much harder to consistently manufacture a biological product such as a vaccine to consistent standards, say, compared with a small molecule uh, such as aspirin or, small molecules, such as a statin medicine. It's much harder to make a biological molecule, especially some of these ones where it's relatively new technology, uh, such as RNA technology or, or, or DNA vectors and so forth. And, of course, you've got to make sure when a vaccine's made at several sites globally, and we are aware that the AstraZeneca vaccine's both been manufactured at various European sites, it's also been manufactured in Asia and also here in Australia, that uh, but, but it is consistent between those sites. And so we look at the consistency, but it's the same product. We also look at contaminants, and we also look at the potency and stability of the vaccine. And individual batches of vaccines, unlike medicines, individual batches of vaccines are tested by our labs before they can be supplied. So it's the work before an approval is very comprehensive, but uh, as I'm sure we'll talk about later, it's really only the end of the beginning because uh, the biggest piece of work with any medicine or vaccine is the post-market uh, pharmacovigilance.
0: Yeah, th- thanks, John. Look, and, and obviously in terms of post-market surveillance, um, um, what um, what the end, what approaches do TGA take in terms of post-market surveillance, and how do you encourage consumers and healthcare professionals um, to report adverse events?
1: Okay, well, to go to your first question, uh, what do we actually do with post-market surveillance? Well. We we encourage reporting from consumers. Uh, there will be a Health Direct site that will talk about symptom checker. Because one thing with most vaccines is that there's what we call reactogenic uh, responses. That can mean you can have a temperature, you can have pain at the injection site, you can you can have maybe even diarrhoea and perhaps even nausea, uh, and you can have uh, some myalgia. But These are quite common symptoms after many vaccines and they go away in 12, 24, 48 hours maximum. And uh, while they can be unpleasant, it's certainly much less unpleasant than uh, catching COVID-19. So really they're expected and and often just with a bit of counselling from whoever's doing a vaccination and paracetamol if needed, uh, people realise they'll have a bit of a fever or chills, but it'll pass. The things that regulators are particularly interested in are the more serious adverse events. And while there can be some that emerge very soon after vaccination, uh, and I guess the one that's been talked about most are a small but rare number of people who have had an anaphylactic reaction with the messenger RNA vaccines. And it's actually probably not to the vaccine itself, but to a component in the, uh, in the uh, vaccine solution rather than the messenger RNA. What uh, regulators are really interested in are the serious adverse events, serious but rare. And talking about vaccines in general and what we're looking at with the COVID vaccines, are neurological adverse events such as Guillain-Barre syndrome, immunological adverse events, and this can be a multi-system inflammation, or it can be whether a vaccine enhances uh, disease, acute respiratory distress uh, and, and cardiac injury, coagulation disorders and so forth now there hasn't been a strong association of those things but the challenge that we have is of course uh, cause and effect we know that uh, and here's a rather sobering but sad statistic in Australia 160,000 people die every year of disease of all sorts of things of what we used to call old age do the maths that comes down to about three and a half thousand a week, give or take. Divide by seven, that comes down to 500 people a day. Now, what that means is that just purely on the statistics, uh, there will be dozens if not hundreds of people in Australia who will die a couple of hours, a couple of days, a couple of weeks after having a coronavirus vaccination and so the challenge for us is to see whether that, that heart attack, that stroke, that person had, uh, or or something that isn't fatal, but that development of Guillain-Barré or multiple sclerosis or another diffuse neurological condition, was their attribution to the vaccine. And we do it in a number of ways. We look at the background. Of, we look at the background rates both in. Uh, uh, the target populations, you know, what is the the average 70 to 80-year-old cluster, what is the background rate, say, of and barre syndrome, Uh, you know? And then you look at a vaccinated cohort, has it increased, Uh, is there a signal from that? We also look at every individual case report, so if we get four or five case reports of people who have had uh, myocardial infarct post-vaccination, we look at the detail in a forensic Uh, in a forensic way uh, with our medical officers, epidemiologists and statisticians. We also work closely globally with other regulators on adverse event reports because in countries like the US where not only they are several uh, weeks ahead of us in rolling out the vaccine, of course, with a much larger population there, they have a greater chance of detecting rare but uh, hard to track down and hard to attribute adverse events. And so it's a global job looking at uh, potential safety signals from from vaccines. Where does the information come from and how to report? Well, companies are required to report all the reports that they have received and any significant signals globally. The agreements that the government is striking with GPs and for a later phase of the rollout pharmacists require the GPs and the pharmacists to, to report adverse events. The state and territory systems that will be involved in the first uh, lots of vaccinations are also, as a notifiable notifiable disease, uh, they also must uh, have adverse event reports received, processed and submitted to us. So, we will get a large range of uh, uh, adverse event reports. But individuals uh, can also report adverse events directly to us. There's a mobile friendly web app. It does require a certain amount of information because just saying I had a shot and I don't feel well, obviously doesn't help us. So we do drill down and ask some specific questions. So that's what's generally known as spontaneous reporting. There will also be a program of of so-called active surveillance. And that's, based on text messages, it's going to go out to certain targeted groups of people and they'll receive text messages at various intervals after being vaccinated. And that information will also flow into our systems. So we will have a very big piece of work in analysing adverse event reports and in drilling down to whether there's any significant safety signals from these vaccines. So far the global experience has been quite encouraging But uh, our role with this product and these products and every medicine and vaccine is to do a thorough job of detecting any possible safety signals. We then have to work out what an appropriate regulatory action is. And it could well be for a group of patients who might have a cluster of neurological conditions, they might be uh, contraindicated from being a population of being vaccinated. At the moment, there aren't very many specific contraindications There's obviously things such as have a discussion if someone's immunosuppressed and so forth but there isn't a list of conditions where there's an absolute contraindication
0: yeah thank you for that comprehensive uh, overview uh, john and just in terms of um, what's the message to to clinicians and consumers in terms of um, the action they should take if they do uh, believe they experienced an adverse uh, event or reaction to a vaccine
1: well first and foremost report so if it's a clinician or and we are working on further simplifying it for clinicians, but as clinicians will understand, we need to have a certain amount of information for a report to be useful and actionable. So there is there are reporting uh, contacts available on our website. Uh, there's a web-based form that's, that's usable both on a smartphone but also on a computer. and. Uh, we are looking at even simplifying that system further uh, with GP software in in the coming weeks. But uh, at the moment, as it always has been, uh, uh, doctors and patients and individuals are very strongly encouraged to report adverse events. We would say, however, that uh, uh, people need to keep in mind that a range of relatively benign, but still at times unpleasant events can happen with any vaccine within 24, 48 hours of getting it, then there will be people who will get uh, diarrhea. There will be people who have not insignificant muscle pain and may even have to spend a day in bed. But by and large, these are transient effects that go. And uh, I guess in an earlier day and age, we would have said that's evidence of a vaccine starting to work. So uh, vaccines often are associated with these short-term so-called reactogenic effects. But what we're specifically interested in are the more serious ones that may manifest potentially soon, but often uh, when and if they do manifest, they come along some weeks later.
0: Yep. Yep. Thank you, John. And and just just finally, um, what are your your top critical messages to our listeners?
1: Well, the first message is we've been very busy looking at all the data on these on these vaccines. Uh, the vaccine development has happened in a relatively short time, but that is a reflection of the absolute size of the effort. There has not been an area of medical development that's had as many people, as many organisations, and to be crass, as much money thrown on it, thrown at it and thrown on it as well as COVID vaccine development during 2020 and 2021. And the fact that we have these vaccines developed in under 12 months is remarkable, but it also reflects the fact that literally billions of dollars have been thrown at the development and and now the deployment of these vaccines. So it is, to use that cliche, unprecedented, and that's why we're here where we are. Plus we have some technologies that have enabled vaccine development to be much more rapid than the traditional methods. I guess the second message is similarly, CGA has done a very thorough and full review of these products working collaboratively with some of the best global organizations in the world, such as the European Medicines Agency. This has not been a rush or a superficial evaluation at all. And, uh, and so while the end-to-end time was quicker than normal, it reflected that we had the receipt of data coming in uh, uh, what we call a rolling submission. So as soon as companies had the data, they'd give it to us rather than wait until it was all complete. You know, Normally a company waits until they have a thousand pieces of data all assembled, beautifully organised in a wonderful file, all searchable, but we got each piece of data as it came through and we had to put it together because then we could start looking at it as soon as we got it. I had several teams working at once rather than sort of in sequence. And thirdly, and uh, I've got a few people who are very, very tired, uh, we've had teams working right through what normally would be the holiday period. Uh, I remember saying the media in November that I'd told my staff to to put away their swimsuits and towels this summer. Now, for better or worse, it was actually a fairly cool and wet summer everywhere, so there wasn't much beach weather. But uh, they wouldn't have had a chance to go to the beach anyway, most of them. And uh, it's been a very busy summer. So uh, uh, we've got the first two vaccines out there. But look, the final message is that uh, we have committed to absolute transparency so we've put up information on what we do but also on what we don't know about the individual vaccines on our website www.tga.gov.au we've also put up uh, information on uh, so so that information includes all the considerations of safety and quality and the data that we still don't have such as how long these vaccines last or some of the bigger trials that will be ongoing for another six or twelve months but the most important message is that people can have confidence that we have two very good vaccines out there. And and if there are any safety issues that arise, uh, we will be publishing every week a, uh, a dashboard with some commentary on the major safety issues that have emerged. If there are significant issues, even those reported overseas, we'll report on it. So a few weeks ago, when there appeared to be some deaths in a nursing home or in a series of nursing homes, again with people vaccinated uh, with one of the vaccines we reported that immediately plus the investigation and then when it was found that sadly statistically those people and from looking at the individual cases those 30 or so people had died of old age but are very frail and probably in the last in any event the last week or two of life uh, there was no effect of the vaccine uh we also published that straight away so we have a commitment to absolute transparency here so the bottom line is get vaccinated even if you're young and fit and not worried about the impacts of COVID itself because of the emerging evidence that these vaccines do seem to assist in reducing transmission you could prevent transmission to a little old lady in the queue in front of you at woolworth's your your mother your grandmother and so forth so you're actually doing it for the broader community, not just for yourself.
0: Yep. Thank you, John. Look, and, and thank you for the kind of comprehensive overview uh, of the process of assessment post marketing surveillance. I think it will give our listeners a real understanding of of what's been put in place. And also, as you alluded to, the, the sheer commitment of of yourself and your and your staff in the TJ uh, to do what needs to be done in such a short space of time. So, thank you for that. And I'm sure our listeners will also appreciate the work that TJ has done. Um, in terms of COVID vaccine rollout, it's likely to dominate healthcare for the foreseeable future. Um, so John will probably invite you back on in, in six months' time to see how we're progressing then. Okay, thanks. Okay, thanks, John. Okay. I, thank, Bye-bye. Thank you. Thank you for listening. For more information about the safe and wise use of medicines, visit the NPS MedicineWise website at nps.org.au.